It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, October the 14th, the game day recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins fall to 0-5, coming up two yards shy from the first victory of the season. We'll break down the game's crucial moments, go position by position on the evaluation standpoint, and give you five takeaways from the 17-16 loss. Plus, we'll take a trip back to campus and revisit college football's weekend action, and we'll check in on the Steelers and Texans and go around the tanking business in the NFL and update you on all the latest. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Vote the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. As always, we have the video breakdowns from this game live up on the blog right now. And let's go ahead and get right into this thing because we have a lot to discuss. That's another Miami Dolphins. I close the Thursday preview show with the statement, the loser of this game gets to a tongue of Iloa, and I'll defend that point later on. But Miami comes up one play short in a game that, quite frankly, simply could not have gone any better for the pro tank crowd. And that's where we start with this podcast and the five takeaways from Sunday's 17 to 16 loss at home against Washington. The Dolphins fall to 0 and 5 now through the first six weeks of the NFL season. And the first takeaway from this game is that these crucial plays at critical moments seem to go. Cur- 
seriously wrong, and I don't want to put the tinfoil hat on here or anything like that, but the Dolphins really outplayed Washington in this game, especially once Ryan Fitzpatrick came into the game in the fourth quarter. We'll talk about that here in takeaway number two. The Dolphins had 21 first downs to Washington's 13. They outpossessed the football for the first time this year over their opponent by just a couple of minutes, but still, and they gave you some growth with some players that are encouraging going forward and showed the fight and effort and want to, to really commend this coaching staff for their effort to get this team up to a level to play a close football game this year in a season that has been beyond challenging for all of these guys. And some of that frustration boiled over today in the locker room post game. Bobby McCain had a profanity laced tirade in terms of his frustration with the losing. Cannot blame him. So I think the end takeaway from this game is that you should be proud of the effort those guys displayed and the coaching staff for getting these guys in a position to win the game, including that move at the quarterback position. Before we get to that, I want to discuss those three plays that did go curiously wrong. And we have to start first with the Kenyon Drake drop on the two-point conversion play at the end of the game. You could see this coming from a mile away once Fitzpatrick got in the game and got the offense flowing. He put them in a position to win the game late. They had to go for two. They had the momentum on their side and you had to figure that Washington would have a better chance to win that game because they were the favored team if it did get into overtime. They run a simple short motion, bring Kenyon Drake from a plus split down the formation into a minus alignment right behind a pair of bunched receivers. A very common play in the NFL, a very common play in the Patriots offense. They ran that all the time last year with Corderell Patterson and it almost always worked and the Dolphins didn't have it set up the best in this instance, but Kenyon Drake's got to catch that ball to give it a chance. I thought that was a very curious moment. Also, the other two I'm talking about. First, Mike Gesicki runs a hookup route over the middle of the formation on a third down, a crucial third down, and he was already on the ground, and I think Fitzpatrick thought he would get a flag out of it, so he throws the ball at Gesicki on the ground. It goes incomplete, no flag. Dolphins punt and put themselves behind the eight ball once again. The other curious decision, or play I should say, was Daniel Kilgore rolling the ball to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't recall a missed snap from Kilgore in his time with the Dolphins. I don't think he had issues with the 49ers and then all of a sudden in that critical moment you roll the snap strange the Dolphins outplayed Washington and couldn't come up with a victory because of plays like that takeaway number two Josh Rosen just is not it I have been a proponent of this idea for a while not that I'm advocating it I'm just telling you what I see he's consistently late on his read and it gives defensive backs the opportunity to drive on the football and intercept him he's seeing ghosts in the pockets right now that early season magic that he had in the pocket escaping pressure and making plays off script is completely gone he's going flat-footed in the pocket He's displacing his feet when he throws the football, like jumping out of the way of passing lanes. He's just really spooked right now. I think he is a broken part that needs to go back into the shop and get fixed before he can really have a serious NFL career. Because right now, it looks brutal for Josh Rosen. His numbers, his production, his film, it all looks brutal. Takeaway number three, I had a theory coming into this game that I think was way more tinfoil than I'm even willing to go, but Nick Needham getting called up to the active roster in place of an injured Xavier Howard is just another strange element to this entire season. As Needham was out there for first team reps in training camp, even started a preseason game, but he struggled so much in those games. You had to wonder, is this guy going to have a chance to even get himself a chance to make a roster? Well, he gets called up and has a pretty damn good game, has a pass breakup, another pass 
pass that goes over the receiver's head when he's in tight coverage. So 0 for 2 in pass targets. But I wondered if the Dolphins maybe groomed that situation to get him to a call-up in case of the odd situation we've heard about with the NFL wanting to investigate the possibility of tanking. Again, completely tinfoil, but I had to put it out there. Nick Needham kind of groomed into this role to get a midseason call-up in a game that they, frankly, to tank, had to lose. Takeaway number four, the defensive scheme and for the most part, the offensive scheme shined when they got opportunities. But as far as the defensive side, I think the schemes are creating opportunities for this defense to play behind the chains or ahead of the chains, I should say, and put the offense behind the chains. It creates some takeaway opportunities. No sacks, only a couple of TFLs and no interceptions of Case Keenum, but they prevented the passing game from getting going by blitzing and filling those vacated holes on those blitzes. That was a nice plan. That was a nice scheme. I think once they get more talented rushers up front and on the interior and some better cover guys outside, this scheme can really begin to take off. Not to the level we've seen with the Patriots, but hopefully something close to that. Takeaway number five. This, for me, flat-out clenches to a tongue of Iloa. I talked about it on the podcast to end the week last week in the preview episode. As the Dolphins now enter a stretch of games that really doesn't look like any type of possibility for a win coming down the pipeline, especially the way the Steelers are handling the Chargers right now. We'll get to that in a minute. The fact that the Jets beat the Cowboys with Sam Darnold back, the Colts a couple of games, the Bills, the Browns, the Eagles. It just looks like that Week 16 game against the Bengals is the only one right now that even looks winnable. And so getting this loss and preparing Telling Washington into the win column really puts Miami in the absolute catbird seat to get that first pick, to get the quarterback, to hopefully change everything. As Tony Romo, if you didn't hear in the Jets-Cowboys broadcast, mentioned Sam Donald's return and what it meant to the Jets' offense. He just said he thinks this quarterback is special. Agree or disagree with Tony on the evaluation of Sam Donald, but he said a special quarterback rises all tides. We've been talking about that for a while. To hear it from Romo is just plus plus news right there and the Dolphins are doing the right thing by putting themselves in a position to go get that quarterback and right now speaking of that catbird seat their strength of schedule for their opponents is 483 there are several teams that are worse than them they are the Jets the Browns Jacksonville Indianapolis Oakland Baltimore and Buffalo but again none of those teams really in serious contention for the first pick right now it comes down to Washington and Cincinnati the Dolphins at 483 on their strength of schedule Washington currently at 562 the Bengals at 5'11". I believe Washington's will stay that high because they play in the NFC and the NFC is much better than the AFC and the Bengals with a couple of good teams in their division should round that out well ahead of the Dolphins as they play a lot of the same schedule as well. Theirs is at 5'11". They've got some easier games coming down the pipeline. They play the Jets, the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Browns twice. I think Cincinnati can find one or two wins in there and that way if Miami does win one or two games, they'll have the strength of schedule tiebreaker over them just as they would against Washington, who was the biggest threat coming into the day. They have two more games against teams with losing record, so the strength of schedule is high, but they might not find any more wins. The Dolphins, I think, get a two-game buffer over Washington because of the loss today, as Washington, with a tie with Miami, likely falls behind the Dolphins, who get the go-ahead for the first pick. So a great day for the Tankathon, not a great day for the Dolphins' other draft picks around the NFL. We're going to come back and talk about the game as a position-by-position breakdown and evaluation of this talent. 
talent. We'll talk about the Steelers and Texans and college football as well. All of that coming up next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, if you can't find a workout that keeps you engaged, check out Peloton. Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get up to $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout from the convenience of your own home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get started. And you guys know how this goes. You're at home, you get a good workout in, you're feeling good, looking in the mirror, pulling that shirt up over the abs, and you're ready to get in the bedroom and show the missus what you're all about. And that's why I want to tell you guys about BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, pre-tank, post-tank, mid-tank, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your two-point conversion reception opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes... It's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. It is currently 21-0 Steelers at the start of the third quarter, so I do not believe that draft pick will find its way into the top three for us on this Sunday night at the close of business week six here in the NFL here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and we are breaking down the Dolphins and Washington game from Sunday. Miami comes up one point shy of their first victory, but puts themselves right back in the driver's seat for the Tua Tungavailoa sweepstakes. I know not what everybody wants to hear, but trust me, long-term, getting that first quarterback overall is going to go much further than what would have happened today had the Dolphins found a victory against Washington. And the good news remains that Miami put forth a solid effort that can maybe hopefully get them out of this whole purposely losing games 
discussion that the national media wants to talk about these players and these coaches not putting their heart and soul into everything because they showed you on Sunday that's exactly what they're doing. Let's go ahead and get into this game now. The statistics from the game on Sunday. Miami almost put up as many total yards as their opposition for the first time this year. 311 to 271. Washington outrushes Miami 145 to 84. We talked about Adrian Peterson all week long, how he's going to have a big game. He did. He put forth the effort to beat Miami in this one. The Dolphins outpass Washington because of Ryan Fitzpatrick in that fourth quarter, 187 to 166. Again, another game, just five penalties. That's three in a row for Miami now with just five penalties. Hell, we saw the Jets and Cowboys game have six consecutive penalties on one drive, so that's a good sign going forward. The Dolphins were five of 16 on third and fourth down, 31%, a big improvement there. Washington was two for 11, just 18.2%, so Miami wins on third and fourth down. They did surrender five sacks and had zero of their own. That was probably the difference in the game. The Dolphins possessed the ball for 32 and a half minutes, Washington 27 and a half. When we get here to the quarterback position, I pretty much buried Josh Rosen in that last segment, but you go back to the article I referenced last week on the podcast discussing Joey Harrington and Brady Quinn and these former first round draft busts that discussed their situation and the circumstances they had to deal with their first couple of years in the pros and how it set them back. I'm seeing the same thing from Josh Rosen. He is not placing his feet under pressure, seeing the ghost, stepping out of clean platforms and into traffic, not trusting the protection, not trusting his progression. It's just not working out for Josh Rosen right now. He'll start going forward, but I guess I think he needs to go back in the shop to get repair work done before he can have an effective NFL career. Ryan Fitzpatrick, fantastic. Just that spark off the bench. He was on time, accurate, and he navigated the exact same pass protection that Josh Rosen had to deal with, with no sacks and two turnovers, or no turnovers compared to Rosen's five sacks and two turnovers. At running back, Mark Walton gets the call over Kalen Balaj. Kenyon Drake still outrepped everybody at the position, but Walton had the biggest day of production, 5.3 yards per carry, the highest this season for a Dolphin, 75 yards from scrimmage, and Kenyon Drake even mentioned in a post-game interview that final two-point conversion play was supposed to be Mark Walton in there. Not sure if he's injured or what the call was, but they went to Drake after repping Mark Walton on that play all week in practice. And Drake, of course, as you know, drops the ball. He did go 10 for 40 yards on the day rushing and the Dolphins two backs between Walton and Drake had 15 targets, makes up more than a third out of the 43 total pass attempts for Miami in the game. Kalen Balazs now just a goal line back, basically. Three carries, no pass targets. You can't catch the ball on this offense. You're not going to have a future going forward. We learned that today, I think, in the biggest way possible, despite the fact that Balazs did score his first touchdown of the season. The wideouts and tight end continued to have an issue with catch rate, but still, I thought Devontae Parker and Preston Williams made some nice plays, especially on that final drive. Parker's touchdown catch is an extremely difficult one to nab. Full speed at your knees, and he goes down and makes that play. And you guys have heard me harping about Mike Kosicki on this podcast for a couple of weeks now, and I'm going to continue to do that and not shut up about his growth going forward. I think he's playing with more contact balance, more strength, more functional strength, and that catch he made on that seam route from Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's in the Locked On Dolphins article, two yards away, one step closer, the Week 6 recap. You can find Kosicki high-pointing a football right on top of John Bostick's head and making an acrobatic catch. That was fun to see. The offensive line shuffled once again. It's not been good. It wasn't good in this game. Jesse Davis, quite frankly, has been a tough watch this season. Not good at left tackle. Slides out to right tackle and gets beat relentlessly by Ryan Kerrigan's speed rush, which probably isn't elite anymore, but it certainly gave Davis issues. Michael Dieter, the Dolphins' left guard, continues to be a work in progress. He has a tendency to get out over his skis, 
which can make him vulnerable to lateral pass rush moves from the defensive line as he tends to reach and gets beat that way. It shows up every single week. There's an example in the LockedOnDolphins.com page. Jamarcus Webb continues to struggle with speed rushes of his own. They want to help him out out there. After all, he's a street free agent, but when you have struggles at the other tackle position with speed rushes, there's not a lot you can do. Isaiah Prince was the sixth offensive lineman into the game. I've always thought that was his best chance to make an NFL career. I haven't quite gotten around to looking at him individually, I'll do that on the tape this week and we'll do the same thing on the defensive line but I thought Christian Wilkins continues to play better football each week for this team he's having these reps against really legitimate offensive linemen where he's shoving them quite a bit back into the backfield there's a rep up on the LOD.com review showing Christian Wilkins pushing Brandon Scherf back into the backfield and Raekwon McMillan making the tackle a good combination from those two promising players young players on this Dolphins defense Taco Charlton pretty much has taken over for Charles Harris after just a couple of games of improved edge setting run defense something Harris has struggled to grasp for two and a half years at linebacker I mentioned McMillan who's probably the team's MVP to this point a decisive run defender that finds his fit and explodes through contact nine more tackles in this game and plenty of good highlight level plays against the run Jerome Baker I thought was better able to get some more pressure on the quarterback at least a couple times to my count including one nifty move on a b-gap blitz against the Washington left tackle Vince Beagle some more rush package plays he made in this game finding his way into the backfield. Dion Lacey looks like a solid special teams type of linebacker the Dolphins added to their roster this offseason. We talked about Xavier Howard not playing in the game this week and Washington went after him with Terry McLaurin or I should say his replacement in Ken Webster. He got Webster for a touchdown. Eric Rowe had his best game of the year if that means anything to you. He had a couple of PBUs and did well to show up recovery speed when he got beat initially off the line. The same was true for the rookie Nick Needham. My theory in the first segment of the podcast, Needham played pretty well in this game and showed you some of the footwork and strength that he exhibits that has this Dolphin staff high on the rookie. Other players, Rashad Jones had a bunch more tackles, eight in this one, and he was active against the Washington run-heavy attack, constantly in the backfield, and Bobby McCain had a great pass breakup on a pass into the end zone where he drove on a a running back in the pattern and broke up a pass that would have been a touchdown otherwise. And let's go ahead and play that Bobby McCain audio for you guys post-game. Considering how it sucks, man. It sucks. We sit out here, we get ours embarrassed, we're going out here, we lose to it, but it sucks. Sucks. Uh, I won't hear any more about how hard is it. It's f-ing hard, man. At this point, man, I, I, I ain't gonna give up on my fans. I appreciate the guys that come. Appreciate the guys in the community that, that come and show, show support. But you know, if you ain't there, that's that's hey, that's. You know, if you ain't there, sorry. You know, just, hey, we'll get together. You do feel for a player after a comment like that. You can tell it's wearing on him. You tell he has to. You can tell he kind of has to check himself with the comments he makes to not get himself in trouble with the league, with the team, whatever it might be. A guy frustrated by losing. Those are the kind of guys you want. This guy's a team captain, a good player for you. Hopefully, he can get through the other side of this and make it to when the Dolphins do have success down the line. And the success of that rebuild starts next offseason with a bevy of draft picks. Right now, several of those picks looking pretty good, especially the one that Miami owns organically. The Steelers up 24 zip on the Chargers, so that one not looking good. We'll come back and update you on Miami's current draft status, what happened around the college football weekend, and hit a few quick news items. All of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I know it probably feels weird to say this. I know it does for me. But the Jets' victory over the Cowboys on Sunday was a big deal for Miami in their pursuit of a high draft pick and, of course, getting other teams off the idea of that high draft pick. Also, the Cardinals and Broncos get their second wins of the year. The Cardinals over a bad Falcons team who has just one win. But again, that strength of the schedule opposition plays here in Miami's favor as Atlanta in the NFC South is certainly going to have a tougher strength of schedule than Miami. And now it looks like with a pair of wins each, the Cardinals and Broncos can probably get away from Miami in the tankathon the Bengals do lose however so they remain atop the tankathon list with 0-6 they have the bye next week with the Dolphins going to Buffalo so Miami can get back over the Bengals with the loss next week in Buffalo so all things told in a week where Miami's competition for the first pick improves and the team surrounding the Pittsburgh Steelers for the other pick improves the Dolphins can't get the help from the Steelers and Texans in order to cooperate for higher draft picks the rest of the way in the first round The Texans and their outstanding quarterback, Deshaun Watson, beat the Chiefs and their fantastic quarterback. That pick is not going to be good. It's going to be in the late 20s because Houston is playing good football. Unless something happens with an injury, the Texans are going to win the AFC South and probably win a couple of playoff games as well. So that pick will be at the back end of the first round. The Steelers, like we mentioned, up 24 zip. I think I'm going to go ahead and write that game off here about midway through the third quarter. The Saints are now 4-0 without Drew Brees and 5-1 on the season. That pick is going to be in the 60s, as I'm sure New Orleans is headed back to the NFC Championship game. Other news around the league, Jawan James missed his fifth game on Sunday for the Broncos. He misses one more game, that six-game barometer, and I had no idea about this rule before a couple weeks ago. If he misses six games, that pick falls into the fourth round instead of what we expected at the third-round pick in the compensatory formula. He is expected to return last week, so if he can play the final 10 games, the Dolphins will get that pick right around pick number 100. If he doesn't play every game, then that pick will fall somewhere in the 130 to 140 range for the Dolphins. One quick roster update. We talked about Nick Needham coming up off the practice squad to replace Xavier Howard. Well, he actually replaced Doug Middleton, the safety, and Needham's practice squad spot has not yet been filled. So the Dolphins will probably sign somebody this week to the practice squad. Currently, if this game holds up as it is, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 24, the Los Angeles Chargers, zip. The Dolphins will be at picks 2, 8, and 25 after the close of business in week 6. And speaking of those draft picks, let's go ahead and go back to campus and talk about the college scouting report from the weekend. As you guys know, I spend my weekends at home watching college football, getting you all the latest and greatest from some prospects. The Dolphins will certainly look at this April. And we start with the quarterback position. Four of the five guys I'm keeping an eye on were in action on Saturday. Check that. Three of them were. Justin Herbert played on Friday night against the Colorado defense. They won that game 45-3. to 
But I continue to be unimpressed with Justin Herbert for the way he handles certain situations that I think translate best to the next level, dealing with pressure, seeing some ghosts, making poor decisions, or being late and not trusting his eyes. I did speak with the Dolphins scout earlier this weekend who said that one of the biggest issues with Justin Herbert is that he can play too conservatively at times, doesn't let situations snowball into a bad result, but that conservative nature can make him late, not trust his reads, and it causes some deficiencies in the Oregon passing game. There's some times where the ball's in the wrong hip or the wrong shoulder, He can absolutely zip it into tight windows, but I just see a lack of trust in the post-snap reading, some Ryan Tannehill to that extent, some Josh Rosen to that extent. I do think he has high round one upside that could come off and look really great in a few years, but I'm still apprehensive on Justin Herbert. Jake Fromm had a brutal game against South Carolina. He threw three picks, went only 5.7 yards per attempt in a 20-7 overtime loss where he made multiple mistakes at the end of that game that cost Georgia chances to score. He showed some poor decision-making. The lack of arm strength and talent kind of came through in this one as he wasn't able to zip some balls into some tight spots up the seam. Jake Fromm, a week after going up to QB2, puts himself right back into the contention with the rest of the group with Herbert and Love and Burrow and those guys as they all fall significantly behind Tua Tungavailoa, who once again dazzles Saturday against Texas A&M. They beat the A&M Aggies 47-28. Tua, 61.8% completion, 8.62 yards per attempt, four more touchdowns. His first pick of the year, which was bad, we'll discuss that in a second, but he's got 27 touchdowns, one interception on the year, and he wasn't even his sharpest in this game, and still he kind of blew scouts away with the fine details, the situational awareness, getting the ball out of his hand quickly, the quick setup and throw, the accurate placement, getting out of trouble against the blitz and getting himself into easy positions to make throws down the field or to beat you with his legs. The fantastic anticipation and accuracy is always, always on display with this guy. And I think the best part about the entire game was he did make that big mistake, the interception in the end zone, where he did not account for a backside safety. He checked him off pre-snap, looked at him post-snap. The safety showed bail, came back into the robber position, and robbed the backside crossing route a dig to Jerry Judy. And Tua ran downfield and basically said, hey, my fault. I didn't make the right play there. My mistake. We'll get him next time. And he came back and continued to carve up that that A&M defense, rather, Tua right now has a 9-to-1 career touchdown-to-interception ratio, 81 touchdowns, 9 interceptions on the season. They take one step closer to drafting Tua. The guy that might have put himself into QB2 status and been the contingency plan after this week of football, Joe Burrow, a big-time 42-28 win over the Florida Gators. He goes for 293, 12.2 yards per attempt, three touchdowns. He completes 21 of 24 passes and just spanks the Florida defense, a good Florida defense with his decision-making, his processing, his anticipation, accurate throws on in-breaking routes, making big plays down the sideline, winning within the structure of the offense. He even went off script a few times, something I dinged him for last week and made some big plays that way. Joe Burrow has arrived and he should be in consideration for a first round pick. But again, all of this comes back to say that I think the gap between Tua and the rest of this class increased once again. He is QB1 and he is only going to be QB1 from here forward. He is the entire intent of this entire process. He has some tests against some big time defenses coming up, but I expect him to pass those tests with with flying colors. He did it last year before he got injured and then the one bad game he really had if you study the film of it against Georgia was on one leg I expect him with a full bill of health to be excellent this season and continue his run
on towards the Heisman Trophy. To me, Justin Herbert has nothing else to prove against inferior foes. They throw a lot of screen passes. They run the football a lot. He makes some plays when they need him to, but he still lacks that big game moment. I want to see something like that, maybe against UW this weekend. Jordan Love was off, so he didn't get evaluated this week. Joe Burrow, I think, is in a position to continue to go through this SEC schedule and make a name for himself. And then, of course, Jake Fromm, the rough week this week. We'll see how he bounces back next game. That's going to be the big test for him. How does he bounce back from a bad showing? My top five right now, Tua very, very much out in front. I'm staying with Jake Fromm. I'm not going to bail after elevating him last week. I think he'll respond nicely next week for Georgia. Jordan Love still number three. Love the upside there. I do think he needs a year to sit on the bench and kind of learn and grow and develop his game. Number four, Joe Burrow, though he has a great opportunity to continue moving up. I just don't want to call him a half-year wonder right now. If he can become a one-year wonder, then we'll give him the status he deserves. And number five, Justin Herbert. I just worry the floor with Justin Herbert is right about where he'll be in that 15 to 12 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I want better than that. And we are just about out of time on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We'll go back to campus on either tomorrow or Wednesday show and tell you about the other guys I scouted for Miami at positions of need. We have some notes from a Dolphins scout we'll get to later in the week as well. You don't want to miss that. And again, I'll close this podcast with this. I do believe the Dolphins secured Tua Tungavailoa with the loss to Washington. And that, my friends, is cause for celebration. But as for today's podcast, that is going to do it. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com with the post-game recap article up there right now. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.